So, here we go. Another week in our controversy series. And so, I wanted to address something that I would say is not nearly as controversial as recent topics that we've been discussing in this series, but I think that it, um, it's something that has become ever-present and has now become part of our culture and, frankly, is affecting the way we do life, and it's not for the better. And so um, <clears throat> over the last 10 years, I would say, we've obviously seen this tremendous change in personal technology, our phones, okay, that has allowed us to connect with anybody at any time, which is really cool in some ways. Sadly, it's also helped us to disconnect with anybody and everybody at any time, okay? So, I think for all of us, it's grabbed us in a way that I don't think maybe any of us would have expected. Like, if you had told me 15 years ago that it would not be unusual um, if you're, let's say, watching a baseball game on TV and the camera pans the crowd, that three-quarters of the people would not be watching the game that they paid for. Like, they wouldn't. That is not unusual. You'll see that at a sporting event. They'll show the crowd. There's tons of people on their phones. And so what they're doing is, like, again, if you told me 15 years ago, um, they wouldn't be watching the event that they paid for, but they would be sending messages to each other, watching short video clips of their friends, um, and looking up things like magazine, like in a magazine or something. Um, I would have said, like, Really, I mean, you're kind of exaggerating this here, um, but we really have gotten to that point. And so some of you, um, you know that I help lead our college ministry at UCF. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and over the last few decades or so, I've constantly been on campus and doing surveys, spiritual interest surveys, just connecting with students. And it's something that um, is enjoyable, and it's always been fairly easy. But a couple weeks ago, I went out with a group of guys that we meet during the summer, and we went out, and we just wanted to connect with other students and do some spiritual interest surveys. And I would say that it kind of hit me that this environment is different. It's different than what I remember. And what happening, what was happening is that I would say at least 95% of the students on campus were on their phones. So there was zero interaction with other students. Either headphones on or their head down on their phone. And that was everywhere. Like you could literally take a snapshot and there would be 20 people all with their heads down, no interaction whatsoever. So they're disconnected and they're inattentive really to each other and to life. And so it kind of reminded me of um, like walking into a doctor's office 
okay, and there's the waiting room, and you'll have people that don't really know each other. Um, we're all wondering, why is that guy in here? And uh, <laughs> hope I don't get it. Um, but you have people that a lot of times um, are maybe they've grabbed a magazine and they're reading that, they're engrossed in that, but there isn't a lot of interaction. People are not talking to each other. And so it felt like just a huge campus doctor's office. And there wasn't any interaction. And so I want to unravel this a little bit and take a look at Jesus, because I think Jesus has something to say about iPhones and Androids, okay? I really do. So first I want to show you this today. video here. Like and um, this is it. You were quick. You're so good. You're way better than I even expected. That was awesome. Oh my gosh. Go. Watching young people today live like this instead of like that. You know, Stacy and I were out on a date last night and there was two couples, two groups of couples sitting next to us and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm old. Like not one of the f four couples were talking to each other. They were all on their phones and it just drove me up to, I literally wanted to be like a dad and go like, give me your phone, talk to each other. <laughs> I mean, this is pathetic. Watching young. So he goes on, and I, I wouldn't say that football coaches necessarily are, you know, social scientists, okay? But he was talking a little bit about, like, the, um, my phone right there. <laughs> Sometimes it serves us. I'm timing this because I want to make sure I don't go too long. But, um, anyway, he was talking about how he felt like attendance had dropped, and thought that there was some correlation there. I don't know whether that's really the case, but I think all of us have seen people out and just not interacting with each other. And so for me, this was a convicting teaching to prepare because I feel susceptible to this, and it has taken me down a road that I'm aware of and that I want to change in and I will change in. Um, so for me personally, like I've been diagnosed with ADD and OCD, okay, was part of me. So this form of technology can grab me quite easily because it feeds into my wiring, okay? So I can flip from one subject to another real quickly, get distracted by shiny objects, like that happens, and I can be um, obsessed about certain things. For example, notifications on your phone, okay? Have you ever been sitting with someone and you look over at their phone, there are notifications everywhere? Like just red, those red dots everywhere? Does that make you feel a little bit anxious? For me, okay, so I'm not the only one, but there are times when I'm just like, oh my gosh, how do you live, man? You got all these people waiting to hear from you and you're just present with me. How nice. And so, I mean, it, it is just, and so I would see those notifications and eventually kind of become obsessed with, I just don't want to have any. I don't want to have any. Okay. We're hearing amens. Right. Exactly. We have problems. All right. Let's just be honest. So, 
But I can justify that easily, too. Like, hey, this is important. Um, I don't want to be misinformed, right? I don't want to be uninformed. I want to know what's going on, so I want to know current events. Uh, I don't want to be late to the party. I don't want to appear as if, like, I'm just unaware of my surroundings. I don't want to miss out on the latest and greatest. Like, this is important for me. This is part of my job, right? Like, any kind of justification, it's there. And so, I do think, though, that it's not just my wiring that kind of gets sucked into this, but it's all of ours. And so, I was reading an article in Psychology Today, and it was talking about um, our phones and texting and how we can become literally addicted to our phones and what they offer us by causing a dopamine loop. So I'm just going to read this from Psychology Today. With the internet, Twitter, and texting, you, know how you now have almost instant gratification of your desire to seek. Want to talk to someone right away? Send a text and they respond in a few seconds. Want to look up some information? Just type your request into Google. Want to see what your colleagues are up to? Go to LinkedIn. It's easy to get in what they call a dopamine-induced loop. Dopamine starts you seeking, then you get rewarded for the seeking, which makes you seek more. So it becomes harder and harder to stop looking at email, stop texting, or stop checking your cell phone to see if you have a message. Here's what's even crazier as the article continues on. Their studies showed that the brain had more activity as we anticipate and wait for a response and that the dopamine actually increases while we're waiting and anticipating. And then once it happens and we get a response, we are not satiated or satisfied. That it requires more and more, and so that's when the never-ending loop starts. Another factor, I thought this was interesting, that, that stimulates this dopamine loop and really gets it rolling, is if it's unpredictable if it can show up at any time, a message at any time. So there's something about it being unpredictable that kind of stokes that with us. And then, even if there is a cue, like some type of cue that the reward is coming, it releases even more dopamine. So when you text somebody, and remember, you know when you see the bubbles pop up? And you know, oh, they're texting me right now. Like during that time, it releases even more dopamine, which is addictive. Okay, so when we were driving, when I was a kid, my mom would always make these bombastic statements. And if somebody was driving really bad, she'd be like, Jimmy, don't look at them. They're, they're all on coke. They're all on coke. <laughs> and I'd look, I was like, what? They're all on dope. Dope was what she said. And um, it's kind of true with us. We are on dope. Dopamine. So, they finish with saying that the 140 characters 
like is the perfect length to give us some satisfaction and then also to drive us to want more. So I started reading that, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I don't like being used like this or feeling like I'm being owned by this. And I have seen it like affect relationships. So while I'm writing this, I was in a Wendy's, and I couldn't help but be a stalker boy. And so there was a mom and a son next to me. And so here's a picture of them. Now look, there I am. I tried to sneak this picture. I'm like, how am I going to do this? They're sitting right next to me. So this was an opportunity for them, obviously, to connect with each other, have lunch. He was watching a movie, which was on way too loud. I was going to tell him, but anyway. Um, and she never looked up for probably a half hour. And that was it. And at the very end, then they left. And so when I think of my own life, I think it's damaged my relationships and my life experiences. Um, and very simply, it's distracted me from the here and now. And so maybe damage is too strong a word, but I will say I feel like it's diluted my relationships with important people that God has put in my life. My wife, my family, my kids, my friends, and further on, God. So this is why I think we really need to be vigilant with this. And if, and if you're sitting there like, I have no problem with this, then that's great. We could learn something from you. That's really cool. Um, but for many of us, I think if we're honest, we'll say, yeah, I feel like it's gotten a hold of me too. And I think we want to be vigilant because none of us want diluted relationships or experiences. We all long for depth. We long to be fully known and fully loved. I mean, that's part of your mission even with Radiant is being known and being loved. Like, that is what we're about. And we long for that at our deepest level. And what we're doing with technology, we're sabotaging that. Whether we know it or not, we're sabotaging that. So, I am not saying that this is easy. We live in very busy worlds. Um, we're constantly being communicated to. All of us have hundreds of messages being sent to us daily through advertising, marketing, and now direct access to us through our phones with a drug that kind of forces us or really draws us to look at it. And so you have companies that are actively trying to distract you from whatever you're doing and focus on what they want you to, even if it's just for five seconds. That's long enough. I mean, that's the goal of a product commercial, is to grab your attention so you can't engage with anything else. So we live in a tough culture, even in Orlando, where there's signs everywhere and there's constant distractors, like competing for our attention. So, in the 
course of just a day, we all have hundreds of messages that use movement, color, sound, words, and images to capture our attention. And if you walk by an Abercrombie and Fitch, they use smell, too. Notice that? There's certain mall stores that they take advantage of the fact that you're there and you can sniff their store. <laughs> Just had to use the word sniff. And so, I mean, that is part of, you know, the experience there. So, throughout the day, we think about our health, insurance, Work tasks that need to be done, house projects, how much gas is in the car, what's going on this weekend, why nobody called you for this weekend, what Netflix new shows are coming on. The list is endless. And so for those of us that might be wired a little more like me, um, it can feel at times like there's 100 TVs on in front of you and all of them have your favorite show. And you're just like... It can get like that. So, as I was writing this, I happened to be in a McDonald's, okay? I do. I need, I have no life. I am sorry. I know. Someday I will find something cool. I, yeah, Panera is out. I am not, well, I am tired of the frappe mochas. They're too expensive. So, I get a Coke. I sit there. Anyways, I want to be with the common people, all right? So <laughs> the Panera is just too uppity for me anymore. So I'm just kidding. Anyway, so as I write this in McDonald's, I'm sitting here trying to focus, and I admit there is some pretty good country music on, okay? And I know some of you are like, that doesn't exist. Yes. There was some good, sometimes it just feels right country music. And there's some good music on, and there's three flat screen TVs, and all of them have something interesting on them, and subtitles. Because at first I'm like, well, you can't hear it, so I'm not paying attention. Oh, it's got subtitles. Oh. And I'm reading one, and then I'm reading the other, and then I was like, oh, football replays. Wow. <laughs> and so it is a din of distraction in this McDonald's. Now, for me, that's really hard, and I am going to get to some spiritual stuff here. I promise, okay? But um, so I went to Bowling Green. I wouldn't say, yes, a, an amazing institution. I wouldn't say that, um, <laughs> that I studied a ton, but every now and then it happened, and I would go to this place, okay? This is the library. Oh, my gosh. It's depressing just looking at it. Okay. So I get there, I have my books that I need to study, and I, you know, open those up and immediately would feel the anxiety of, now what am I going to do, okay? Like, the chairs are boring. The desk is boring. The, everything about it, like, that was just, that is an awful room right there. Like, that higher, in, higher learning, it's just not going to happen, Okay. But anyway, that was before cell phones, and, and so I would sit there for about five minutes and then pack up my books and be like, all right, I got it. I'm good. Um, can't take it anymore. Now, 
I think if we're really serious about following Jesus and becoming more like him, I think it has, I think he has a lot to say about this, and it's really in how he communicated with others in scripture. And so Jesus' teaching came with a power and authority unlike others and a wisdom that was unparalleled. But there's often this like overlooked aspect of his teaching, and I would say it was his ability to connect with people. He would connect deeply with others, and often it was with others that nobody else was attentive to or they were being ignored. And so if we look at Jesus and the disciples, as his popularity grew, life got extremely hectic for Jesus. So the crowds are swelling. There's crowds that, I mean, he's popular. You know, there's this popularity that's going on. There's also opposition. And at times, scriptures say there were like thousands that were listening, and they would press in on him. And at one point, Jesus actually has to like literally push himself out on a boat away from the people just so he can get some type of distance to be able to preach to them, thinking, well, they won't they'll walk out into the water towards me. And so there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of distraction with Jesus as his popularity was growing. Even in those environments, though, he would have the ability to listen and be attentive and oftentimes would zero in on an individual in the crowd. Mark 10, 46 says this, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. So there's opposition even to him, probably telling him, like, shut up. You're always here. You've been here for years. Be quiet. Don't bother him, whatever. Throw it. Uh, Jesus stopped and said, call him probably pointing, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus, which I wonder, like, he came to Jesus, well, he was blind. Did somebody help him? Something. I wish there was another line in there. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Big crowd, lots going on, Right away, Jesus notices this. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So this scene, large crowd, highly distracting, most likely people yelling out to Jesus, maybe even some making some disparaging comments about Jesus and his guys, but it's much more like a mob than it is a quiet, you know, coffee shop. And even there, Jesus is attentive in the moment and focused on an individual. And the subject matter changed. It went from Jesus to this man, and what does he want? 
What does he need? So this quality is one of the things that always impressed me about Jesus, that in the midst of distracting environments, he would seem to cut right through it to people's hearts. His own needs and his agenda would take a back seat, or maybe it takes a front seat because his agenda was people, not himself. So I don't think we're going to be able to be like Jesus if we're buried in our phones, like immersed in our own world with hardly even noticing our surroundings. And so I don't, I don't think this is too outlandish to say. I think this technology can literally keep us from being like Jesus at times because it causes us to be distant and distracted and it dilutes the depth of our relationships. We're just naturally selfish, selfish. And God is changing us in that. But I think that selfishness or just the like isolation that we can kind of like get into is exacerbated by this kind of thing. And that isolates us from others. And man, that's not life. That's not community. That's not the kingdom that Jesus spoke about. In John 11, we have the story of Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He's from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he had heard this, Jesus said, this sickness won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory. I'm going to skip a little bit further down to verse 12. His disciples replied, because Jesus said, well, he's just sleeping. And they didn't understand what he meant by that. They said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he then told them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead. Okay? But for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you might believe. Let's go to him now. Okay? Still, they don't really understand what's going on there. Here, again, misunderstanding. Well, let us go also that we may die with him. They're still not really getting it. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He kind of knew that. He had taken some time to go there. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. They knew that he was fairly close. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, well, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection at the last day. So she's still not thinking he's going to rise today. She's thinking, okay, this is what you've talked about, this resurrection at the end of our the end of our time, the end of our lives. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. One of the 
best verses, man, in Scripture for me. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing me will never die. Do you believe this? He said. When Jesus, a little bit further down, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. They saw his emotion. They saw how he was engaged. They saw how he was connected with Lazarus. And they said, look, you can tell how much he loved him. There was a relationship there that was deep. Jesus, in this scenario, he's confronted with a scene where there's this entire family and probably extended family too. They're distraught. They're crushed. He takes the time to expend the energy, connect with them on an emotional level, and that takes focus and effort. I mean, he could have said, hey, whoa, 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 wait. Everything is going to be okay, okay? Listen, I'm going to take care of all this. Stop crying. Stop, stop, stop. Um, and kind of skated. But he doesn't. Jesus' response is compassion. Co-passion. He's engaged. He's present. He's emotional. And he's undistracted. Undistracted. And you get the picture that there is only one thing on Jesus' mind, his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This was the power that Jesus brought to his interaction with others. People felt seen. They felt heard. Maybe for the first time, they were lost and forgotten and ignored, and all of a sudden, he makes them the center of attention. That is powerful. Um, I was at a Gator football game years ago, <clears throat> and before the game, um, I noticed that most of the players had headphones on, and, you know, it's prior to a football game. They're all kind of getting really pumped up. And, um, and you could tell they're all in their own world. They're really not paying attention to each other at all. They're stretching. They're doing some sprints and everything. They're just getting warmed up. And then I see Tebow, Tim Tebow, okay? So here he is. And so instead of running and doing the other stuff, he's with this little dude here. And there's not a lot of people in the stands, Okay, it's not real crowded. It was way before the game. It's probably like an hour beforehand. Um, and he is like focused and engaged and just totally there with this kid, oblivious to everything else that's going on around him. And so then he starts doing his workout, but instead pushes him all, he's pushing him up and down the field. And I'm watching this, and I could tell that other people in the crowd were kind of like watching it, and the other players, 
it even caught their attention. And, uh, and then he starts walking him over, and he's introducing him to, to other guys. Look at Joe Hayden's back. That is ridiculous. <laughs> and, I mean, they were just engaged, and he was engaged with him. And um, I think that that type of attention and engagement is what really, man, brings depth to our relationships and our friendships. We, can't, we simply just can't live this way if we're distracted and we're distant. I don't think we can live the way Jesus called us to. So... Um, I think one of the main reasons that people were so affected and taken aback by Jesus was that um, he took the, that time. I think of the woman at the, the well from Samaria. She goes back home and says, come and see. Like, this could be the one that we've waited for. This could be the Messiah. And he told me, she's exaggerating here, but she says, he told me everything I've ever done. Essentially, she's saying, he knows me. He knows stuff that I've tried to hide. He displayed how attentive he is to me. And guess what? She's ready to follow him as a result because he communicated very clearly how much he cared about her. When people know we care about them, it's powerful. That has been a great lesson for me. Am I being present and engaged in there? Or am I in another place disengaged and distracted? It's a problem. Right, Allison? Has it been for me? It has. Absolutely. So... A few years back, I was listening to this well-known family counselor, okay? He was on the radio, and um, <clears throat> he said that over the years in his counseling, and so this is probably 35, 40 years or so, he said that he started to notice something totally unexpected and unusual that he didn't anticipate that was common amongst healthy families, where the relationships were really close. And it came up so many times in his counseling that he started to take notice and then even started asking families about this. So what is this one thing that he had found that you think that these families who start, really had some healthy relationships with one another, what was the one thing that he found that they had in common, that they did Meals together, camping. What else? Any, anything else? No television. Camping, right. Um, did I, who said that? Was that Misty? Oh, it's Dawn. You don't camp, you glamp. I've heard about you. I've heard about you really close to the, yeah, really close to the shower, all that stuff, yes. 
no. Um, that was it. Camping together. Yeah. Really, I know. I was like, what? And he, he said it came up so often, eventually he was like, what is going on here? What is the deal with camping? And now they've done, like you can look up online, there's these studies on it, and they say that, yes, the time together, the reliance on one another, the cooperation and the teamwork, and not being distracted. Like, eventually, over time, they have to work through things together. You're just stuck. You're out there. Sounds awful to me. No. <laughs> Getting bit. <laughs> when I think of my, like, deepest, most powerful moments in life, there was full engagement, totally undistracted, present, there was nothing else going on except what was happening right there. And so I just don't want us to become dragged under by technology. All right. There are some great things about it. Like none of us have to be experts in getting directions or giving directions anymore. Right? This used to happen all the time. If there was someone that didn't give you directions well, remember, it was terrible. Oh, well, you just go down, there's this big tree. Oh, come on, that's not, that's not going to help me. You know, and you drive all around, you'd end up at the same gas station again. That doesn't happen anymore. But I'm really hoping that um, technology, <clears throat> that it will serve us, okay? And let's use it. Let's use it but let's not let it use us. I think God wants us and calls us to stand apart from the world, and that's going to involve, <clears throat> excuse me, engaging deeply with our friends and our family and our experiences. So next time you're at something that's fun, or you're engaged with other people, like, just don't take the phone out. Let's try this stuff, and as I've been thinking about this, I've been putting my phone aside, and I realized, man, for those first 48 hours, how much it had a grip on me. I want to finish with this. I think this influences our relationship with God, too, because we, have, we need to practice being engaged and quiet and tuned in to Him. And if we're constantly in communication and receiving messages, I think we can lose the ability to connect with God at times. I love when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It sounds like give God your full attention. Listen to Him. Now, I have never said like, hey, you got to go to church. Okay, so that we can check the I went to church box. You know, that's not the way we are as a, as a community. But I might argue that we may need this time more than ever when all of us meet together, focus on God together, and leave 
our technology behind and worship him. I think we need this time. I think the scripture that says don't give up the habit of meeting together is really important for us. That's why even worship is something that is so important for us. <clears throat> I mean, one of the goals in worship is for it to grab our attention, for God to have our attention and to help us focus on what's really important. We need times like that together, whether that's on a Sunday morning or in our homes together or whatever. So let's kind of commit together as a church family to be present and engaged and use technology like to serve us, but not for us to serve it. We just need some freedom in this area. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we live in a world that has all these things that kind of get thrown at us, and this really has, like, it has changed the landscape of how we relate to one another and what we do in public. Um, <clears throat> we've missed out on a lot because we've had our phones out, and and God, you know that this has been convicting for me that I desire to engage deeply with people. In my greatest life experiences, that's what was happening. And so, God, all of us, we don't want to sabotage what we really need. And that is depth of relationship with one another and with you. We're thankful for a time, like once a week, where we all get together and we think about you, we focus on you, and collectively we remind ourselves of what really matters. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to live counter to the culture, that we would be men and women, that when we're out at lunch together, engaged with each other, and would you convict us of things that we need to change in this? Not so we can feel guilty, but just so that we can engage with one another and we could love one another better as you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name.